This is the Monday, September 21st, 2015 episode of the History Author Show. Visit our iHeartRadio channel or subscribe on iTunes to enjoy a brand new episode every Monday morning. Oh, New York ain't New York anymore. How I miss those old pals of mine. The sawdust is gone from the floor. Where we harmonize, sweet Adeline, on the east side, west side, things ain't like before. There are tears in the eyes of the regular guys, oh, New York ain't New York anymore. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Dean Carianis, and this is the History Author Show. Thank you so much for joining us on our iHeartRadio channel, which you can find on your web browser or by downloading one of their many smartphone apps or using the radio in many new model cars where you can listen to iHeartRadio just like any other radio. And if you're catching us on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, or some other outlet on the great internet card catalog, we're also really glad you're here. And we want to thank you for clicking through the Amazon banner on our site when you make a purchase at their online store. It helps keep us in highlighters, and we go through a lot of highlighters here. Hippocrates, Plato, the Peloponnesian War, Cato, Socrates, Heracles, Hercules, Hera and Zeus, enlightenment itself. This is Sparta. All we have and all we are, movies, culture, language, philosophy, our forms of government, is built on the foundation of human beings who lived thousands of years ago. We may think they're different because they didn't have Mars rovers and Wi-Fi. Heck, they didn't even have zippers. But they were very much like us, and they still have so much to teach us if we'll seek them out. Today, we're going to show you where to seek out their wisdom. We're going to travel back to the days when Latin was very much a living language. My guest is Van Bryan, associate editor of Classical Wisdom Weekly. It's an online publishing house that shares information, commentaries, and opinions on the literature of antiquity with iPad-enabled readers like us. They do it all at classicalwisdom.com. You can also follow them at Classical Wisdom on Twitter or get their newsletter via email just by signing up on their homepage or at classicalwisdom.com slash free dash sign up. I entered my address and I haven't gotten any email from 4th century Nigerian princes. They kept my address private. All you get when you sign up is the newsletter. Oh, plus not one, not two, but three free gifts. The Guide to the Greek Gods and Goddesses, an Introduction to Ancient Ethical Philosophy, and a Guide to the Peloponnesian War. So why not give it a try? One bit of inside baseball, though. When Van Bryan and I decided to sit down for an interview, we had a challenge, the location. After all, we're not in Rome or Athens. We're in New York City, and the year is 2015. It didn't seem right to talk about the antiquities in an air-conditioned studio as usual. So we decided to meet up in Manhattan's Madison Square Park, in the shadow of a statue. Not Caesar or Augustus, but Chester A. Arthur, our 21st president. Arthur, as few living would recall, studied a classical curriculum in college, so we figured he'd enjoy listening in. So now that you know the setting of the scene, let's set our time machine back, way back, 
Here's my conversation with Van Bryan, Associate Editor of Classical Wisdom Weekly, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Minds. I'm here in Madison Square Park with Van Bryan, Associate Editor of Classical Wisdom Weekly, and President Chester A. Arthur, Chet to his friends. And I just thought this would be a great place among the squirrels trying to mug us here in the park, <laughs> pigeons wandering around, to welcome you to the History Author Show, Van. Yeah, thank you very much. And I want to point out to people that Van Bryan is not a 85-year-old professor with <laughs> tweed arm patches, elbow patches. There's nothing old about you. You're a young guy here in the city, so Thank anybody. Thank you. <laughs> so anybody. Nice of you to say. <laughs> now, assume the person listening is on earbuds. They have an iPhone. Maybe the only homer they know is Simpson. They really just don't even think that this is relevant to their life. So give your best pitch for why they'll be enriched by the books, articles, and other content at classicalwisdom.com. You know, it's funny you mention Homer, actually. Homer Simpson was, in a lot of ways, my first exposure to the classics. I remember I watched The Simpsons, and there's an episode where he reenacts the Odyssey. And, of course, he does all the Homer Simpson stuff, but as Odysseus, of course, and he goes to Cersei's Island. Anyway, so Homer Simpson was... I guess the the first step towards learning the classics for me. When you mention you work at Classical Wisdom Weekly, you must get many variations of the question, it was so long ago, why do those stories matter in my life now? So how do you knock that out of the park, so to speak? You know, when I, I thought about it, I had to write down all the reasons why I thought somebody might be interested in the classics or ancient history in general. Uh, as it turns out, the list is quite long. Uh, I came up with two that I thought would probably be the best ones. You're absolutely right, though. I mean, people assume that the classics are, I mean, like you said, they're best for people like Reginald, who's in a smoking jacket in a lounge somewhere, and it's not for everybody. Um, I really don't believe that. No matter what you're interested in, whether it's history, literature, philosophy, and to an extent, science as well, everything that you can study now, if you look far enough, it has its roots in the ancient world. And in many cases, I mean, these fields of studies they're originated by the ancient thinkers. So, I mean, why should you read the classics? In a lot of ways, it's, it's like a, the first chapter in a book. And it's been written for thousands of years, and we're still developing it. We're still trying to understand what they meant, how it applies to us now. But, I mean, the classics, in a lot of ways, they give you an idea of where we were as a society, kind of how we got here, and, you know, how we've progressed. And on top of that, the other reason I would say, and I know, you know, a lot of people probably won't believe me, I enjoy reading the classics. I enjoy reading ancient literature. You know, that's perhaps surprising. It's certainly, you know, not as immediately pleasurable as, you know, maybe seeing a blockbuster movie or something, but it's the type of pleasure you have to become accustomed to. It's an intellectual pleasure, as uh, Socrates would say, and it's one that is, in a lot of ways, more fulfilling than just browsing YouTube or something like that. You know, so those two reasons, at the very least, I think, why someone might be interested in reading the classics. I think when you even start to just look at the site, as I did, you find things all around you that are the influences of it. At first, when we discussed it, we said, where are we going to go to do this interview? Because, right. uh, as I said in the intro, we're not in Rome, we're not in Athens or the ruins somewhere. So, But then you look in New York and you say, okay, well, Chester A. Arthur, this sort of obscure Gilded Age president, <laughs> is, is here. He studied the classics when he was in college. And yep. then uh, I started to look at the Flatiron Building, which we're not quite in the shadow of it yet, but 
its design as one of the first and most iconic skyscrapers, it's based on a classical Greek column, the base, shaft, capital. It's right there in front of us in plain sight. And I have to mention that a lot of the Gilded Age buildings have been destroyed. A lot, a lot of them just people sure. wanted something new, wanted something modern, get rid of an old theater on Broadway. And yet the Flatiron Building with that classic style, and granted it has that special triangular shape, but still, it, it just is something that endures for us, I think. And if you appreciate it now, imagine how much more you do when you look at it and say, oh, hey, here's the classical influences of it. it, it it's exactly what you said, an intellectual pursuit, I think. Right. I think it's unfortunate, though, that a lot of the things that maybe you would appreciate in time, so, you know, like you said, they get knocked down for something bigger and better. Yeah. That's, that's the excuse anyway. Yeah, the old Penn Station, for instance. Now right. they're stuck with sort of this strange-looking uh, cake tray of a Madison Square Garden that sits there. They're going to redo it, yeah, <laughs> currently. But that would have been a building, when you look at the old Penn Station, that would have just endured forever. And that's one of the reasons people go with classic architecture. I mean, when right. I walked here from the N train to meet you in Massacre Park, there's a little tiny triangle of land that's the gravesite of Major General William Jenkins Worth. He was a general in the War of 1812. He died during the Mexican-American War. And there's an obelisk there to mark it. And you think of Washington's obelisk. Obviously, he didn't live anywhere near being in the Mexican War or the Civil War, but he, they used an obelisk. And that was a topic of George Will's column recently where he said that the Eisenhower Memorial, there's much debate because they want to make this sort of big, glass, ostentatious, modern memorial to him. And he said in his column, the classics endure for the Washington Monument and the other monuments, Lincoln, the Jefferson Memorial, because that classic design speaks to us so much and it's timeless. You don't look at it like you do a kitchen in a house that was built in the colonial era and say, oh, when was this kitchen put in, 1982? <laughs> you know, it's, right, yeah. it, it lasts forever and you know exactly what it is when you look at it. That's absolutely true. I remember on your first show, you had a bit about Barry Strauss and he said the most common question everyone asks him. And instantly in my head, I said, why, why does it matter? And he said, did it really happen? And I said, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> I was a bit surprised. But why does it matter? I mean, the thing about it is I feel like most people who think that have either you know never really taken the time to look at the time period the literature the history or they had you know something of an improper introduction to it and that's understandable it happens all the time I mean why does it matter though I mean these are the literature just speaking of that they ask questions and they look at themes and they talk about ideas that everyone is still kind of wondering to this day I mean people assume maybe that the classics are just special because they're old and like they're a museum piece in that sense. I actually think it's the other way around. They're not special just because they've been around forever. They've been around forever because they're so special and that they have continued to kind of lay the foundation for a lot of these you know, major uh, academic pursuits. And so, you know, why does it matter now is I would say they answer questions that people ask today that they asked thousands of years ago and they have been important ever since and these are questions like you know what does it mean to live a good life for instance the classical authors they don't shy away from these big questions should I pursue glory like Achilles does or should I be like Odysseus and seek you know homecoming to my wife and child those are kind of on opposite sides of the spectrum but what does it mean to live a good life should I be virtuous what does it mean to be virtuous what 
does it mean to be happy? I mean, these are all things that are addressed very directly in a lot of the ancient books. And that's just for why I think it's important for people for themselves, you know, looking at introspection and the questions you might ask yourself. But it also, they kind of touch on topics that might be more important to a society, a growing society, people in government. The ancient authors, they put forth answers to questions like, I mean, what is the role of government? Really, what is the role of government? Why do nations get into war? What is the cause of war? If you read Thucydides, the history of the Peloponnesian War, it's a history book, but at the same time, it's a piece of political philosophy, and he lays down his reasons why conflicts emerge and why war starts. And if you track history throughout the centuries, you'll, unsurprisingly perhaps, see it repeats itself over and over again. And these are things that were laid down thousands of years ago. So, I mean, really, if you're going to pursue politics, I think you should have some basis in ancient history, some understanding of it at least. It worked for Chester A. Arthur. Like Chester A. Arthur. It's funny you mentioned Chester. <laughs> Never elected Danning, and there he is president. There he's right there. Well, most of the, I would say, most of the political leaders in the 19th, 18th century, they almost all had a classical education. Yeah, I feel like it's really something lost in today's education. Right. They don't teach you really to think and to learn and to question things. It's a lot of rote repeating. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned to you previously that in college I had a great professor, Dr. Frank McCloskey, and he really went out of his way to engage us in a way that I felt was pretty rare. This was my freshman year when I first had him in a philosophy class. And he'd say things like... Professors. Yeah. that they, they will go out of the way to well, make I, you, you I think. Be, I believe he said he. I decided I didn't want to work very hard. And so like, what was available, probably, I bet history of the world probably played a part in it. Right. So uh, Mel Brooks, stand-up philosopher. So <laughs> that probably was the... But he'd say he'd start class saying things like, today we're going to talk about Euripides. You know, Euripides, Iterados. And... <laughs> He just wanted us to laugh like you just did, knowing that that opens the student up to being invested in class, paying attention, talking and arguing ideas, and questioning everything. I mean, I remember there was an election at the time, and he would find the student who was the most devoted to a candidate and say, well, think about the thing that could happen. Like, How much do you really know? He told this story about somebody he knew in college, and he said he was just the most Irish guy. He was really into his Irish heritage, had the flag up, hated the British. And he said one day his father came to school, got drunk, and told him he was adopted and wasn't Irish at all. So he said, how much, how much do you really know? And I find ever since then myself doing that, questioning things. Right. So for people that don't have that benefit of a classical education, do you ever get them coming to you and saying, why am I learning this the first time by reading Classical Wisdom Weekly? People really get into it and sort of say, I'm learning things I should have learned when I was in grade school, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I I had the same experience, I'm going to be honest. I was introduced to Homer first in high school. I believe I was in seventh grade. Had absolutely no interest. I think I barely got a C on those papers. I just don't think it was presented in a way that is appealing. It's It's almost like they say, okay, this book's important, read it. But, you know, why is it important? Why does it matter? Um, that, those aren't questions that people really ask. I think they just assume that it's an ancient book, so it's important because of that. Um, but, and, you know, for that reason, I think people don't have an interest in the classics. But when you kind of get at the heart of what they're trying to tell you, at least what they're trying to ask or the questions they're trying to raise, I mean, th- that's a better place to start. Uh, I remember years after that, we read, this was in high school again, we read Antigone by Sophocles. And at the heart of the play is the question, what is the role you have to society 
and versus doing what you think is just to yourself and to your family. I mean, I think when you kind of ask the question like that and then almost introduce the text around it, it becomes much more engaging. And yeah, some people come to us say they've never heard about this, they've never read this, they've never had an interest until we presented it in a way that, you know, at least we hope, uh, would be engaging, that would be interesting, that would make people see that the classics aren't just these old dusty books, they are very much alive and these texts are still being discussed, they're still being debated and, you know, I mean, what's that expression? The classic is something that never finishes saying what it has to say and in a lot of ways, I think that's what we try to do. We try to bring it to people's attention, even though they may never have thought of it before, they may never have studied it before. Uh, it's, it's really for everybody. You just have to kind of have the curiosity to pursue it. Yeah, I think that's supposed to be the key part of education, right? Right. Questioning. And I, I think we just lost that so much today. And I remember those classes, he was always very complimentary to us. And by the way, I don't mean to speak about Dr. McCluskey as if he's gone. He, I just discovered he has a blog, <laughs> thethirstyphilosopher.blogspot.com. That's where you can find it. And I would say corny jokes. It's like you're so used to being squelched, I think, as a student in school. Right. But even questioning things or even acting out in class, maybe. Now, obviously, it can go too far. And by this time, we were college students paying to be there. But it's something you want to really be able to bring out in people where they are asking, where they're not just saying, this is how it's always been done. Right. Because we would have nothing beyond that. And I think even though they were obviously alive so long ago and knew so little about the natural world, they questioned everything because they had many more questions to ask, <laughs> I think. And for instance, in that class, I would get, an, get encouraged without ever saying it to ask questions and to say things that were a little different. For instance, uh, I took a class with Dr. McCluskey called The Greek Mind, and mm -hmm. I raised my hand the first day and I said, I should get an A because I have one. And, <laughs> and the wrong professor, that would have been a you know, just wisecracking and what have right. you that takes it, as you said, very seriously. And another time I remember he had a test and he had two questions that were the same, and it was only 10 questions. And so, of course, there's always one student that has to raise their hand and sort of ruin it for everyone and say, yeah, Dr. McCluskey, you have two of the same question on number two and number eight. And so he said, well, if you answer it in number two, just put C number eight. If you answer it in number eight, put C number two. <laughs> so I didn't know what the right answer was to this classics question either. So I put at number two, C number eight. And number eight, I put C number two. And it was sort of this loop of infinity. And he gave me full credit because he thought it was really original thinking, right? Philosophy <laughs> professors are the best like that. <laughs> you, you never meet an uninteresting philosophy professor. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think, you know, you're right. At least from my experience in high school, I know there's pressure to, you know, get grades and get into a good school. And I think once you get to college, yeah, you are paying to be there at the same time, though. At least from my experience, the biggest concern was, what am I going to study that will get me a good job? I was so concerned with that that I didn't really bother with learning anything I wanted to learn until my father, I remember it was, he told me, he said, well, just pursue something that's interesting to you and you'll figure it out as you go. I guarantee you'll find work and it will be okay. And I said, all right. And as it just so happened, like you, I was interested in philosophy and I was drawn to the ancient philosophers. And I think from there, especially in philosophy classes, they, they don't just encourage you to kind of ask questions. They, they demand you, they force you to, you know, get engaged and think about these things, which really has, wasn't, wasn't present in any of my classes up until that point. It was, 
you know, here's a syllabus and we'll have X number of tests and X number of uh, papers and if you do all that you'll get an A. But that wasn't necessarily true uh, when I started, you know, looking into the ancient philosophers. It was, it was you had to think about your answers. You had to think about why something mattered, why it was important. And from there I kind of gained an interest in the ancient world and it was only then that I started reading the classics at all and this is you know when I'm 18 19 and all the while I'd you know never given them a second thought but it really wasn't until then I think that they became of interest like you said when I talk to young people now I discussed this with Rinker Buck we talked about the Oregon Trail on I guess mm -hmm. our second show and, I, and he said people don't know where they're going today they want their whole life laid out for them they want to yeah. know and just and really that's part of not questioning right I'll just go I'll get a job I'll do that job for X number of years I'll know what it is I'll get a gold watch retire and and never have to think and I think that's very against or contrary to what the classics would have taught us they they want a lot to of them would argue it's against human nature in general yeah we are questioning things you know I'm in Manhattan's Washington Square Park with Van Bryan, associate editor of Classical Wisdom Weekly. Their tagline is Ancient Wisdom for Modern Minds. And you can find them on Twitter at Classical Wisdom, online at classicalwisdom.com. And while you're at their website, think about signing up for their free email newsletter. What do you get when you do that, Van? I know you get the Guide to Greek Gods and Goddesses and two other books free. I am not in the list, however, of the Greek Gods, which I'm just gonna overlook but oh okay <laughs> well ideally it's I, I can't I can't speak to you but if you sign up you receive uh, the guide to Greek gods and goddesses an introduction to ancient ethical philosophy uh, which just details some of the ancient philosophies that focus on kind of the meaning of life and what is the purpose of life and a guidebook to the Peloponnesian War which was the most epic battle ever in the ancient world between uh, Athens and Sparta, what it came down to. And it's probably the military history buffs out there, I suppose. Yeah, that's huge as far as the things we live on now. And I remember, again, I didn't mean to make this about my former professor, but he, I remember <laughs> when he fine. taught us about it at the time, that was 1988. Mm -hmm. uh, I graduated high school in 87. So it was, it was no, it was, I guess it would have been the fall of 87. And he compared it to the Soviet Union at the time and the United States. Mostly a, a land power in Sparta, mostly a sea power in Athens, and just talking about how relevant it is. And, it, and I just think that that's something I guess you maybe want to grab people and shake them a little bit and say, look, this is a secret book that tells you right. what will happen. It has the answers, <laughs> and no one no one thinks about it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's interesting when you mention the Peloponnesian War. Depending on who you ask, they'll give you different examples of well, I think it's like this. It was like this war. It was like this. It was, and the thing is, they're all essentially right, in a way, because in a lot of ways it's, they're very similar. But also, I mean, if you look at that book specifically, and this is just one example that I think applies to just about just about every ancient text, is the ideas presented in it can be found, I mean, centuries, thousands of years later down the road. But it all started with one guy in Athens, Thucydides who you know, took the time to kind of document what was going on at the time and put his thoughts down and he, they were developed and edited over the years. And in a lot of ways they've become the cornerstone, in Thucydides' case, of uh, political realism. His book, the, I mean, The History of the Peloponnesian War, is looked at as one of the first true pieces of political philosophy and most people don't think of it that way. And I think it's interesting when 
that happens when you make the connection that this isn't just some ancient book that's been around forever. It is the first step in a very, very long tradition of you know whatever the academic pursuit is. But it all starts in the ancient world, and it happens again and again and again. And people shouldn't get the idea, even though we're talking about college students and youthful <laughs> learning, that Classical Wisdom Weekly is just aimed at kind of the novice, the person who never picked up a class before. You have things there for scholars and authors too, don't you? I would say that we're definitely interested in presenting the classics in a way, ancient history in general in a way, to someone who maybe has never known about it, could read an article and say, okay, I learned something. They, they would feel included. But at the same time, we kind of walk that line between making it easy enough for anybody to read it, but still maintaining that integrity of the detailed history, the detailed arguments, the detailed details, I suppose, of the books and the literature. I mean, I wrote something very recently on Stoicism, which is an ancient philosophy that was very popular in the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire. And while we also kind of looked over what tenets were popular, kind of what the general idea was, we also looked at the specific arguments that they laid out. Again, my guest is Van Bryan from Classical Wisdom Weekly. And as you may be able to hear in the background, one of the reasons we came out to the park was there'll be some music here today. So I don't know if jazz, that probably would have been better for Supreme City by Don Miller. But music is another thing, obviously, you're going to get out of the classics. It's really the basis of pretty much everything that we do. And one thing that we have today is we have movies that really focus on it. So I wanted to ask you what your opinion was of movies like 300, Clash of the Titans, <laughs> Gladiator. You're smiling, so it must be... Right, well... <laughs> Try not to swear about that. No, 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 it's nothing like that. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I didn't think I had an opinion on that until I really thought about it. I would say in general, I mean, they're good. Uh, and by good, I mean they do inspire some interest in the ancient world. They do inspire interest in the classics. And that time period in general, obviously, they take some creative liberties. As long as you kind of recognize that, you know, a movie like 300... For instance, yes, the 300 Spartans were very real, uh, but they also had 7,000 other Greek soldiers with them. So it wasn't just them. And they probably had the best public relations guy in Herodotus at the time. <laughs> I mean, he just did an incredible job of selling that story. And he did so well that they're even making movies about it, you know, thousands of years later. So, but all in all, I'd say the films and all that that comes out, it's, they're largely good. As long as we realize they're not documentaries, they're a reimagining of sorts. That, that would be my, my take on it. And they're a little bit more than just the action. And I think it's mm -hmm. sort of a gateway drug, so to speak, was mythology. <laughs> when I was young, I remember I found my grandfather's book of Greek mythology, and he died long before I was born. And I thought if he came back to life today and we had something to talk about, that probably would be the basis. And I think when you look back, whether you're reading about Lincoln or Washington, Trafalgar, a czar of Russia, this classical education, not that we're ever going to be sitting down and talking to them, but still, it says something. There's a reason why it's this sort of thread. And I wanted to ask you how, beyond The Simpsons, like, once you saw that episode. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, and let me tell you, that was a thrilling moment when Homer says, Marge, I'm, I'm brooding and angry like all of us Greeks. I was so excited <laughs> for a split second until I realized he's just making a Homer joke. But like, had The Simpsons been Greek, that would have been extremely exciting across the Greek world. But anyway. Right. Um. But I wanted to ask, what? where do you go from there, from that class, to decide to really dig into it and end up 
having a website called Classical Wisdom Weekly and putting all this out there. You know, it's funny you mentioned, you know, Lincoln and all of them. They had a classical education. No matter, no matter kind of where you are in history, if you were a prominent politician, you had in a background at least in the classics. But I, what's most interesting, I think, is, is kind of the reaction certain people in history had to classics and the ancient authors. Uh, if you look at Jefferson, for instance, I believe it was in a letter to John Adams, he describes the Homeric epics as just the most fantastic piece of literature he's ever read. And he thanked whoever it was who introduced him to these books, and they were more exciting than anything he'd ever read or ever will read. But if you look at what Jefferson had to say about Plato, for instance, specifically the Republic, which is political in nature, I'd say, he hated it, thought it was the most ridiculous nonsense he'd ever read. Uh, and he said something to the effect of, I can't believe the world has tolerated this for so long. <laughs> and, you know, the reason I bring that up is because people have different reactions to the classics. And you don't have to think they're amazing all the time. They're very much, you know, a living text that you can interpret different ways and you can get different meanings from them. That's the basis of what we try to do. We try to demonstrate to people that the classics are these living texts and that if you take the time and the and you have the patience in some cases to read them and learn about them, you are going to find that they are fulfilling intellectually, spiritually, whatever you want to call it. Now, people might think a website about the classics is just text, but I was impressed when I went there that you had a lot of illustrations and pictures of artifacts and things like that. So describe what that takes to put that together and what you do to kind of illustrate these classics. Classics and ancient history in general, such a topic of fascination and artists really no exception. You have the most detailed pieces of artwork that they kind of illustrate some of the, the best moments, I suppose, from classical literature. And in a way, we just wanted to share that. So you have the death of Socrates, for instance, or the scene where Hector's being drug around the walls of Troy. These are things that certainly you can read about, but almost seeing it is, I don't want to say shocking, but it's, it's enthralling in a way, and it, it complements the learning experience more, I think. It's just a whole other level. When I went to your yeah. site, I said, wow, this you can lose 20 minutes there. If you're just clicking around classicalwisdom.com, you'd say, you might not expect it. I think it's very visually pleasing. And it's just, yet again, it just reminds you and resets you of how important it was in the past to them just to be thinking. Just to th Like today we have think tanks, but it's basically a place that retired politicians go to collect a paycheck, let's be honest. Right. So <laughs> I don't know how much thinking there really goes on there that they go out and, and produce work and produce ideas and say, oh, hey, we're all going to think about this now. It, it sounds silly, but it's true because that's what separates us from the animals. When you look at us and look at our brains and the design, like we need to be thinking always. So as the music flares up again, let me just leave with a quote that I read from classicalwisdom.com. Like I said, when you were stealing that 20 minutes of my day that you owe me back. But <laughs> it says, quote, The giants sought the answers to the most important questions asked, questions that are still asked. And I think that that really captures it. You know, that's a perfect honorable as we wrap up and point people over to classicalwisdom.com. So with Chet as your witness, have at it. What are these important questions that people will find the answers to in these books, newsletters, posts, and the emails that they can sign up for at classicalwisdom.com? Right. Well, I think what you'll probably find is they're, they're not insubstantial questions. I always thought this was a great thing about the classical authors. They don't shy away from the big questions. They love the big questions. If you look at 
Socrates, he wanted to know, what does it mean to live a good life? How should I be living? What does it mean to be virtuous? You know, what does it mean to be happy? How should I be living my life? What is my place in this universe? These were not simple questions, and the ancient authors, to their credit, tried to give you answers, well, tried to find any answers in general that would, you know, make sense of these things. So, you would be just amazed, I think, if you took the time and you had the interest in the ancient literature to go through it and see what they have to say, what they, you know, tell us, the themes, the ideas, everything they bring up, you would just be amazed at how relevant it is to this day. And even now, I'll still read certain ancient classics and you'll find kind of a new answer to something I wasn't thinking about. I, I didn't know I wanted to know because what they wanted was to find answers to questions and to just think. Always to be thinking, to be wondering, to be questioning. That's the basis of what Socrates said, right? You know, the unexamined life is not worth living. And in a lot of ways, the ancients, they lived that. They wanted to pursue knowledge, to pursue enlightenment at any cost. And I think that's a mission that's suitable for anybody, especially, you know, especially someone today. It's important to know that this is something maybe more relevant for younger people than older people. Yeah. Because if you're older, we've made all our mistakes, a lot of them. And so, as Winston Churchill said, 20 to 25, those are the years. If you can learn something that will help you in life, and life is so hard, why not go there? You'll be enriched so much by it. And I appreciate you coming and sharing this with us, bringing the ancient statues to life. Even President Arthur is smiling, which is something considering I think he's made of bronze. I want to thank you so much for your time, Van, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for having me. Once again, thanks, Van, for joining us and for sharing the founding wisdom of Western civilization. The website is classicalwisdom.com, where you can sign up for that free newsletter and get the three books on antiquities at no charge at all. Or you can just visit for a little wisdom. Who can't use more of that? You can also follow them on Twitter at Classical Wisdom. There's no book to link to this week, but if you're buying a sword, shield, or bust of Homer, Simpson or otherwise, we hope you'll first click through the Amazon banner at historyauthor.com. We get a few drachmas every time you do. Once again, thanks to Van Bryan for joining us and for sharing the founding wisdom of Western civilization. That's it for this week's installment of the History Author Show. I hope you'll join us next week for another trip into the past here on iHeartRadio or wherever you're listening. And remember, if you do subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave a review. Well, until next Monday morning, thanks so much for listening, and happy reading. We still call it Broadway, but what's in a name? Take it from Georgie, it isn't the same. On the east side, west side, things ain't like before. There are tears in the eyes of the regular guys. Oh, New York ain't New York anymore. Socrates would have been proud of your professor, I think. (laughs) I like to think so.